0: morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn towards the back of the Old Testament to Habakkuk. I tell you it comes after Nahum, but that's probably not helpful. Uh, In my Bible, it's page uh, 1310. Maybe that's more helpful for all of us. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk uh, four of the next six weeks, and uh, I trust that it will be profitable for all of us. Let's ask God to guide us. Father God, as we look at one of the 12 minor prophets, the book of Habakkuk, We pray that you would use it in our lives to give us a greater glimpse of who you are, a greater glimpse of what you are doing, how you interact and intersect with history, how you bring redemption in the midst of our sinful natures. Father, admittedly, the book starts out in a way that can be quite discouraging, and yet it ends with great encouragement. Help us to learn as the prophet Habakkuk learned, as you taught him, and as you taught the nation of Judah. Guide us, we ask. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but from time to time, I find some oxymorons humorous. Oxymorons are a literary form in which two words that should not go together are often put together, and if you listen to them carefully, they seem to contradict one another, If you were to come over for dinner, we might have jumbo shrimp. How does that work? Is it big or is it small? I'd like you to act naturally. If you're acting, are you really natural? Found missing. Are we celebrating or searching? Deafening. Silence. One's loud, the other is quiet. Seriously funny. I don't know how they'll go together. My personal favorite, unbiased opinion. I've got a lot of them. (laughs) Pretty ugly. I'm not even going to touch that. We're going to move on. Rolling stop. As an officer, I did stop as I kind of rolled through. She or he has heard that a time or two, have they not? Original copies. Is it the first or is it down the line? I slept like a baby. Babies often don't sleep more than a few hours and then they need to be fed. I want to sleep better than a baby. One drives on a parkway and one parks on a driveway. (laughs) Whose language is this? Virtual reality. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. One more, if Jared is driving his car and he rolls down the window and throws out a cat, is that kitty litter? (laughs) All right, that really wasn't an oxymoron. But you can address Jared, Jared, Jared at his last name, Highland Community Church. Most of these are oxymorons. And, and I would like to submit to you that the book of Habakkuk feels like an oxymoron. It's written by a prophet. The prophet Habakkuk. And the prophet Habakkuk charges God with injustice. The injustice of God coming from a prophet of God. That's an oxymoron. That's a theological problem. He's not sure if God is fair. He's not sure if God is equitable. He's not sure if God sees the big picture or if God is acting appropriately in light of history. And so we have this theological oxymoron Until we get to chapter 3, we have a prophet of God who doesn't believe in the goodness of God, the justice of God, the fairness of God. In fact, we have a prophet that in some ways wants to deal with the philosophical problem of evil. How do we have a good God who is all-powerful And yet we have evil in the world. Why doesn't this good God do something now? That's a big part of what the book of Habakkuk is going to address. Now, I don't want to set the bar too high. The philosophical problem of evil is not totally answered in Scripture. But there are many hints given to us, many hints given to us in this book Not so much today, but as we go on in the chapters of how a good, all-powerful God doesn't always intersect immediately with evil. With this introduction, I want to read from Habakkuk. But before I do, I just want to read some words from Isaiah. Because I think these words sum up part of the problem Habakkuk has. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. One of the things Habakkuk is going to learn is that he is stuck in time. He is stuck at one moment of time, and God sees the beginning from the end, And God knows what he's doing. And even if Habakkuk can't see it, even if we can't always see it, we can be assured that God is moving, God is acting, and God is bringing justice where injustice reigns. I want to pick up now in Habakkuk 1, verses 1 to 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord... perverted. We wouldn't expect those words to God from his prophet. Now we begin to hear some of God's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told your mind is about to be blown. Just imagine Habakkuk. What you're going to learn. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Your Bible may read Babylonians, it's the same group. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves, not from God. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. That is, they build siege ramps of dirt and they overtake the fortresses. And they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men. God's already said what they're like. They're guilty men whose own might is their God. The prophet Habakkuk. We're in about the 7th century BC. We're in a time period where this man will speak not to Israel, but to Judah. The two southern tribes. Let me back up. You remember that there were three kings in the United Kingdom. The first king was Saul. He did not have a heart for God. The second king was David. He had a heart for the Lord. And then Solomon, he had a heart for the Lord, but his heart was turned away by his intermarriages to women who were of idolatrous origins. About 9.30, Solomon dies. His son, Rehoboam, takes the throne. Rehoboam, for a moment, a couple days, has all 12 tribes. He rules in the south, in Judah, the the two southern tribes, but he rules all 12 tribes. The 10 tribes for the north, they come down. They said, we served your father Solomon well. We obeyed him, we honored him. And we will serve you just like it, but we have two requests. You need to lower the taxes. They're a little high. And you need to end the corvée. The corvée is the forced labor. Under Solomon, every third or fourth month, able-bodied men would work in construction projects for the state. They'd have to leave their farms and they would not be paid. End the corvée. It's too tough. And you remember, Rehoboam is an untested guy. He's an untested young man. He goes to the wise sages, the individuals who had served his father Solomon well. He said, what saith you about this request? And they said, it's a fair request. Lower the taxes, and the corvée. They'll serve you to your dying day. But he didn't like that answer. And he went to the young lads Boys that were brought up in the palace, silver spoons in every one of their mouths. They hadn't worked a hard day in their life. He said, What do you think of this request? And they said, Are you kidding me? Who's king around here? Is it you or them? Tell them that you'll increase the taxes, you'll increase the corvée, you'll whip them with scorpions. And that's the advice he followed. And you remember those 10 northern tribes immediately seceded from the union. They became the nation of Israel. The 10 northern tribes took that name Israel and they would last about 200 more years. There would be 19 kings, every one of them ungodly. Our God who is slow to anger and abounding in love, put up with 19 godless, immoral, unethical kings until 722 when he sent the Assyrians to ransack the north. And essentially that nation of Israel ceased to exist, although a remnant must still exist because they'll come back into play during the tribulation in the millennial kingdom. And then we have the two southern tribes. They're the two tribes that stayed with Rehoboam. There'll be 20 rulers. There'll be 13 godless kings. There'll be a godless queen named Athaliah. And there'll be six men that fear God. Six kings that fear the Lord. And because of these six kings, God gives them an extra 80 years before they will be defeated in 605 and 586 by Babylon, and take it into captivity for 70 years. Habakkuk, as well as Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they prophesy to those two bottom nations. Not to Israel, they prophesy to Judah. Habakkuk was raised during those years. He was raised during the time that we have one of the two boy kings. Every boy needs to be a king. Joash got the throne at age seven. That's fearful. Josiah got the throne at age eight. Habakkuk was raised during the time of Josiah. He was a godly king. By the time he was 20 years old, he took out the Baals and the Asherahs from Canaan. He cut down the poles and he destroyed the high places of the idolatry that was rampant in Judah. By the time he was 26 years old, 2 Chronicles 34, he saw that the temple of God was in ruins. It had been ransacked. It was filled with idols. He had it cleansed out. He had it rebuilt. He had it restored. And it was during that time that a high priest named Hilkiah found the law of God. You want to know how bad it was in Judah? For 75 years years. They lost the law of God. For 75 years, there was no reading individually or corporately of the scriptures to that point. And so when Hilkiah found the scriptures, he had it read aloud. And there was great confession, great repentance, great revival in the nation of Judah. And then Josiah died. And he's followed by four more kings, ungodly kings, and at the end of that, God said he had had enough. And he brings the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come to ransack in 605 and 586 to carry the Judeans into captivity. This is a setting for Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a prophet during these two or to these two Judean nations during this time period, somewhere between 6,12 and 586, that's when he prophesies. We know nothing else about Habakkuk except what is in this book. And Habakkuk is disillusioned. Habakkuk looks around. He sees a nation that is filled with idolatry, immorality, unethical behavior. And he calls his nation back to the law, to the word of God. And he calls on God to do something. He accuses God of being indifferent, of being unjust, of turning a blind eye. Understand that although Habakkuk is going to be very upset when God gets involved, he's the one that's urging God on. He just doesn't like what God does when God does get involved. And so he calls on God to end the injustice. He calls on God to waken, to see the immorality, the unethical behavior. He calls on God to do something. He prophesies alongside Ezekiel and Jeremiah Now please understand, these men are patriots. If you read the books, they weren't called that. If you read the books, their countrymen constantly think little of them. Whether it's Jeremiah being thrown into a cistern, or whether it's Ezekiel being mocked, or whether it's Habakkuk, they're actually thought of as traitors. Why? Why? because they call sin, sin, because they call their nation to repentance, because they love God and his His character enough to say, Lord, do something. And they love people enough to call them to turn from sin and towards righteousness. The most patriotic thing a person can do It's to love the righteousness of God and the glory of God and to call for it to spread among the nation and to call for a nation and people to turn away from sin and towards righteousness. These are patriots of the highest order, the first degree. And Habakkuk, the patriot, calls on God. He says, how long, O Lord? Verse 2, how long, O Lord? And maybe some of us are in the same spot. Maybe we say, how long, O Lord, until you heal my marriage? How long, O Lord, do I have to endure the loneliness in my marriage? How long, O Lord, until my child or children or grandchildren turn back to you? How long, O Lord, do I need to endure this difficulty in my life? You may be aware that it was this text that inspired a very famous speech in American history. It was 1965, it was Martin Luther King Jr. It was to 25,000 people as they marched from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. It was the call for the vote for all adults. And Martin Luther King Jr fashioned that great speech after Habakkuk. He said, how long, not long, because no lie can live forever. How long, not long, you shall reap what you sow. How long, not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I can only imagine this morning Some of you are thinking, how long? And you're thinking, how long is he going to preach? Quite long. Get comfortable. Habakkuk, like Martin Luther King Jr., was a watchman on the wall. You recognize the phrase from Ezekiel 3. He's a watchman on the wall. He's a patriot of the first degree. He calls his nation back from sin and towards righteousness. He has prayed, he has fasted, he has preached. He's even cajoled God. And he says, how long until justice is brought forth? Now before I beat up Habakkuk too badly, are several things I admire. He believes in God. He believes that God can act. He believes that God is all powerful and he believes that God is personable enough to interact with our problems. In this, we agree with Habakkuk. But I think his conclusion early on is incorrect. I'll give you the cliff notes. He's gonna decide it's incorrect as well. And he's going to come to the conclusion that God is acting, that God is moving, that God is doing something. And in the end, God does what is absolutely necessary for the nation of Judah. But hold on to your hat. For in the interim, Habakkuk is not going to like what God does. Maybe you won't like it either. And so we read in verse 5, I, God, am about to do a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. In other words, he's about to do in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What does God do? He raises up, verse 6, the Chaldeans. Understand that Habakkuk is upset with his nation. He sees the immorality of his nation. He sees the idolatry of his nation. He sees the lack of care for the widow and the orphan and the outcast. He sees a plethora of sin in his nation. He wants God to chastise them. He wants God to show up. He wants God to bring justice. But he can hardly believe it when God chooses the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, as his chastening rod. Unless we think that God has been hoodwinked, that God doesn't understand who he's using to chastise his nation, he makes it clear he understands. In verse 6, he calls them a bitter and hasty nation. They're like a dictator from North Korea with decidedly more firepower proportionate to the time. Verse 7, he calls them dreaded and fearsome. This is the nation that vanquished the Assyrian Empire. This is the nation that has just vanquished or is about to vanquish the Egyptian Empire. This is the world power in the 7th century. Their army, verse 8, is like a cavalry, swifter than leopards, Evening wolves, eagles swift to devour. Verses 8 to 10, they laugh at kings. They mock kings. Verse 11, they're a God unto themselves. And God has already judged them. God is not hoodwinked. He knows full well that he is using a more evil nation to chastise a less evil nation. And the result is that Habakkuk is scandalized. Understand this, Habakkuk is caught in time. He only sees the past and he can only presume the future. He's caught in the same time problem that we are. And so he says, how long? Because he doesn't know what God is doing and what God will do. He's scandalized and he thinks the Babylonians are getting away with it they don't get away with it. In 539, the Babylonians are flattened by the Medo-Persian Empire. God will bring justice. But he's trapped in a moment of time like we are, and we don't see the big picture, and God does. And he's going to need to learn to trust that God will ultimately bring justice. But we don't get to see all of it now. In eternity, we can see The panoramic view of all that God is and has done. So for now, Habakkuk challenges the goodness, the mercy, the wonderfulness of God. This then is the setting for the three-chapter book. We won't solve any of the philosophical problems of evil today, but let me mention four quick observations. First, I'll state the obvious. Habakkuk doesn't get the obvious. When a nation ignores God's laws, injustice reigns. Habakkuk wants to blame God for it. The Bible blames man for it. When a nation ignores God and a nation ignores God's laws, it's not God's fault. It's man's fault fault. God is very clear about this. Judah is at fault, not the Lord. But what will God do to rescue them? He will send a redeemer, which was forward for them. It's back for us. A redeemer who takes sin upon himself, who goes to the cross, who offers salvation to all who by faith believe in him, And he will offer eternal justice for all of time going forward. God will rescue us from what we have done ourselves. Second, this book is a clear warning not to put God in a box. We each need to have a category for the mysteries of God. We need to understand that we are stuck in time. And we can't see all that God is doing. And sometimes God does things that are beyond our comprehension. The mysteries of God, a theological box, every person needs it. How does the Trinity exist? I don't know. He's three in one. It's a mystery. It's my my theological box. How is Jesus fully God and fully man? I don't know. But the Bible affirms that it goes in my theological mystery box. How does divine election and human responsibility work simultaneously? I don't know. But it goes into my theological mystery box. How would God use a more wicked nation to chastise a less wicked, wicked, wicked nation? I don't know. It goes in my theological mystery box. Habakkuk is scandalized because he doesn't expect that if he sees the panoramic view, he'll understand all that God is doing. But we know better. We know that we are stuck in time and that God rules, and we do not. Third, I've mentioned this already, but Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they are patriots of the first order. They are what Ezekiel called the watchmen on the wall in Ezekiel 3:17 to 19. They are individuals who pray for their nation, who call their nation back to truth, who share the gospel, who care about people, who call sin sin, who are not duped into believing that culture is truth. They're watchmen on the wall. They're individuals who call an area back to revival, to change, to transformation, to truth. May you and I be watchmen, patriots of the first order. And finally, let us never doubt the God of history. Notice in verse 6, God said, I raised up the Chaldeans. God raises up leaders. God deposes leaders. This does not mean in any way we shouldn't vote. This does not mean that God so dictates history that it doesn't matter if we intersect and interact with politics. It doesn't mean that at all, but it does mean this. At any time, God can raise up leaders. God can depose leaders. God can bless a nation. God can curse a nation with leaders. And God wants us to pray and God wants us to interact and God inhabits the prayers and the praises of his people and God moves on behalf of his people. And so again, it's that mystery of how God interacts and how man interacts with history. But know this, ultimately God is sovereign. God's purposes will come to fruition and Habakkuk will learn as we must learn that God is not unjust, but God is full of justice. And God will bring his just purposes to bear, sometimes temporally, always, eternally. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this prophet who interacted with the nation of Judah in the south. I thank you for what he learned and through him what we will learn about your character and even about how you interact with the problem of evil in our world, how you interact with history, and how you call us to be patriots and watchmen on the wall and to care about and to love people and nations enough to call us back to you. Father, We look forward to learning from your prophet that you caused to write this inspired book for our benefit. Teach us well, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.